Support for this podcast comes from PayPal. Small business owner, PayPal QR codes are the safe and easy payment option. It's all the security PayPal is known for online, in person. Cash only, QR codes allow you to accept credit or debit with everyday low fees. No additional hardware or software needed. Use the app to generate your unique QR code. Customers scan your code with their PayPal app to pay you. Learn more at paypal.com slash us slash get QR code. This is episode number 34 with our guest, Sally Saint. Welcome to the Hidden Entrepreneur Show. My name is Josh Carey. You want in on a little secret? I was in hiding for 40 years. Yeah, I was hiding every part of myself in every situation. And I can tell you one thing, hiding sucks. I'm now on a mission to help extraordinary people like yourself rediscover the world around you, connect beautifully with others, and excel tremendously in all you set out to do. Join in. It's The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Hey there, guys. Thank you for tuning in and joining us today. Welcome to the studio. You're tuned right into the Hidden Entrepreneur Show. I am your host, Josh Carey. Now, anyone who follows me or listens to this show knows that my absolute favorite role in life is that of dad. I am privileged enough to be the father of two extraordinary children who I love dearly, my five-year-old daughter, Danica, my adorable three-year-old son, Harrison, the loves of my life. Who knew? Who knew? But I always knew somewhere inside me that when the time comes, I'd love to have children. But with that thought, you have no idea how profound that role actually is until you're thrust into it. It's, it's really every single emotion in the world rolled into one at the same time. That's the only way I can explain it to somebody, and that's the way it feels. In every moment with them, there's just a plethora of all these incredible, amazing emotions that run the gamut just fighting for the spotlight there. Now, my guest today has so much to share with us as a parent, as a mom, as a business owner, and so much more. You guys are in for such a treat. My guest is Sally Saint, and she's a UK-based therapist, an energy healer, an artist, and the founder of Conscious Parenting, which serves as a support worker for families whose children have learning disabilities and behavioral challenges. She also has over 16 years of experience in working with energy to facilitate healing for clients around the world. That includes being trained in Reiki as a Reiki practitioner, reflexologist, and a massage therapist. Having a natural ability to, get this, read the energy of another person, whether it's in person or via distance, then to actively work with the person's energy to release any blockages and facilitate expansion. I want to learn all about this. I am already a huge fan. Please help me welcome. It's Sally Saint. How's it going, Sally? Very well. Thank you very much for having me on the show, Josh. 
My absolute pleasure. Coincidence, perhaps. Happy birthday, the day we're recording this. It's your birthday. How in the world is it going? You love celebrating birthdays? Oh, totally. Absolutely. So, yes, it's been a wonderful day. Thank you very much. Great. And it's wonderful to have you. So, I'm, I'm always intrigued by somebody who's a, a healer and who works with energy because I embrace all of that. I know, I'm very well aware that human beings are just one big ball of energy. So please help me understand what exactly do you do in that regard? What does it mean to be an energy healer and work like that? It means that no matter what I do, I can help and support somebody on a really deep level. So they may be telling me one thing, but their energy can be telling me the truth. And it helps me then. So whether I am Reiki, giving them Reiki or massage, you know, I can feel what's coming through. It means I'm far more guided because I understand more. Sometimes when we say things, it's not quite the truth. Even we don't realize it's not the truth, but our energy never lies. And so it's a way of, it's like the owl medicine of seeing the truth in a situation. That's what energy reading can do. So I'm somebody who, let's say I'm an ideal client and I want you to help me. Um, what is my issue that I'm just stressed or angry or want to work through something? Is that what people are coming to you for? Yeah, absolutely. So they may, and also they may come on a superficial thing. They may have a pain in their back if I'm massaging them. I would then start working with them and hey, presto, a, a past event would come up because I'm an energy worker. Um, it's almost even if they don't realize I work on them on that deeper level. And so things will happen. Things will come through. They'll start talking to me about things that they never expected to because my energy works with this. So it means I can get to a far deeper level. There's, there's memory and muscle. So I'm working with a muscle tension somewhere. A memory will pop up. You know, I had a lady I was treating and her childbirth, her child, you know, with her child was very traumatic. And that was eight years ago. I started treating her on, a, on the level of the pelvis. She was having lower back pain. And hey, presto, things came up and she started, she, um, she opened up to me. And she never expected to. So this is non-verbal. She came from massage. Mm. And it led to so much more. Growing up as a child, though, um, perhaps you have, um, you know, retrospect and can look back and, and help answer this. But it seems like, can, can somebody, does somebody set out to be an energy healer? Because it seems like it's one of those things that through your life, it just happens and then you acknowledge it and then go into it. Am I on to something there? Yeah. And also I feel that every child has that innate gift anyway. If they are allowed to be themselves, they have natural abilities. They can sense my son can read energy. There are children I work with. They can read the energy of others. It's a natural instinctual behavior to be able to do that that's non-verbal then they start to lose it because they may not have the recognition when they say something they may be told to kiss a relative that they actually feel repelled against and all these things will gradually eat away at that natural ability um, mine was preserved in a way because of um, like extreme forces I would say around me but I kept it alive by a, by a close relationship with animals because that was my link to sensitivity because I, I could read them they understood me and I had deep connections with all my animals I had in my life and they kept it alive for me they kept alive what was being repressed in other ways 
so you were as a child your your sensitivity as you put it and your contact with that within yourself to be able to read and understand the energy of others that was nurtured by those around you to keep that alive yeah every animal that came through my door or any animal every animal that came into my life was meant to be uh, later on in life when i i uh, tuned in with the reiki i could have a communication with horses horses are they were an immense part of my life as well they mean personal power but they helped me immensely remember who i was and i could communicate with them it was as easy as it just felt so natural and i have had an animal support me every single stage of my life when I needed it most there was an animal there so whether that was a dog a duck a whatever it was but there was always I understand now in my later in life that that's why I always had an animal beside me Hmm. that was their role is there any any relation to what we're talking about here to things like clairvoyancy Yes, I just don't like to label things because when you label things, it boxes something and I don't want to box it. It's the most natural thing in the world. I don't wish to put a name on it. It's so true because some some phrases, obviously, people have prejudice to and for. And like like you're saying, when you put such a label on things, then then people start boxing it in, right? Absolutely. And for two, for a couple of years, I worked online psychic lines and I would do readings for people, but I would always say I was there as a spiritual counselor, but they always wanted predictions and I refused. I couldn't in that environment because it's so disempowering. So, um, I did eventually step away from it because I can do it. I can do readings because it's that, again, energy reading. But I refuse to say that in two weeks' time, Bob's going to come into your life and everything's going to be wonderful. So, um, so obviously, it only lasted so long because the, the, concept, the, the preconceived idea is when you've got this gift, you should be able to tell people what, they do with, what to do in their lives, give them the answers. And that is so, it's, it breaks my heart. And it broke my heart when I was doing it. And so I was talking to people that were so addicted, they were thousands of pounds in debt on these lines because someone told them somebody was going to come back and they kept on believing it because they wanted to, it was feeding into something. And I was telling people, stop, stop, you know? So, um, I was there for a reason. And, um, but like I say, it's that thing of a name. If you say you're a psychic, if you say something, then automatically all these things come in where you should do this. You should do that. So just allow yourself to be. What is the difference between what you said you, you were more doing, which was the spiritual guidance. Give us an example of what that is versus Bob's going to come into your life in two weeks. I plant the person in now. And that's the difference. I re- so I can read the energy of what's going on. I can read the energy of the person that they were linking with, the person that they hope would come back. I could feel it. I could feel if it was positive or negative, isn't that enough? So if you can feel that that person that messed them around, that didn't come back, actually they were really in a really tough state. And that, do you honestly want that back in your life? You know, so I was working with and planting in the now, in the now. And I would say, is that person with you right now? Are they with you right now? And they, they needed that rather than that false hope of, well, in a month's time, they're coming back. And then that's what they were being fed. And they were, they were up to the neck in debt because they wanted to believe. I said, you have to love yourself, take care of yourself, nurture yourself. You know, it was about always coming back to what is happening now. That's where the power lies in standing in, in the now, acknowledging that something's happened, somebody has gone. 
and allow yourself to be in the now and allow yourself to be open to what life is going to offer you, not hanging on to something that whether that person comes back or not, it's whether you're happy now, you are in the now, you are extracting the goodness of life now, not waiting for something, waiting, hoping, living in the past, hoping for the future. There is no joy in that. There is only slavery. Mm, I got I got the chills listening to that. I, I love all that. Let's expand on that for a little bit. What does it mean to live in the now? And how can somebody who's listening do that? When we have a trauma happen to us, so like I just said about when somebody leaves, your greatest wish sometimes is not to face it because it feels it's so deep and it hurts so much, but actually being in the now means you acknowledge it, but also then it means you're not hanging on, you're not hanging on to something. Allow yourself to feel. Um, positivity is amazing, but also when something happens, you have to allow yourself to acknowledge it and feel it. So where is it that in this earth we are told that we shouldn't feel, we should only be allowing ourselves to feel certain emotions? Feel. And that is where the freedom lies. Freedom is allowing yourself to feel absolutely heartbroken. Then when you acknowledge and release it, then you can start to step forward. And that's the, I understand when big trauma happens, that's why people go to these lines and things is because they don't want to acknowledge that this has happened. So if they're given something and said there's hope, they don't quite go to that bottom, but we need to go to the bottom when, when something is really hurting us. We need to release. There is no shortcut. We are, we are waiting, it will be there. It's like a ticking time bomb that could blow at the slightest thing allow it to be released at the time and then you're free and yes you acknowledge that somebody isn't there or whatever but also it means you can start to see the sunrise and the sunset you can start to see what you've got you can see the child that's in front of you. you've got a child you can see the friends that you've got but while you're living in this false hope there's almost oblivion because all you're focusing on on the person that isn't there or the trauma you're not acknowledging it you're what well, somebody said that this is going to happen so i'm just going to focus out instead of what's happening right now there is, um, there is so much to be accessed. And also you allow energy to help you when you're in the now, you're saying, okay, this is really happening. Um, but also in doing that, you understand that then those who are around you and the energy that's around you can help you because you're not fooling yourself. You're not tricking yourself. You're not trying to stop your body from expressing, releasing. Mm. What about the using this example, this wonderful example of somebody has left, they're not here right now, they may or may not come back. What about the meaning we prescribe to that? What, whatever that might, how, how we feel that might say about us, important, yes? Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes the more and more obsessed, but the more we focus on someone not there, it's actually showing how little we love ourselves because we're perceiving the love is, is actually only on them. And it just takes us further and further away from self-love because we sacrificed even more. We're waiting for that person to come back when actually the person we're waiting for is ourselves. That love, we equate the love we feel with someone else to that other person. It's actually the love. Where's the love? Where are we feeling it? It's our own hearts. It's inside us. So we equate it to that person who's left. The love is expressed within us. It is our own love. You need to give yourself and allow that love to, to be expressed and wrap you, to surround you. It is not that other person. It's there inside of you. 
I'm so intrigued. Take us back, Sally, to the very beginning. Um, I want to see how this all correlates. What was Sally Saint like as a young girl? What was that home family life like? Um, repressed. I will tell you, I will show, I will share something that happened to me um, a number of years later when I was older. I started doing shamanic work and I would go, um, it was four times a year from solstices and equinoxes and I'd be away for like four days at a time and I would, you'd have ceremonies and you'd just go deep into these um, experiences. And one of them was um, preparing us for going back to our childhood and you walked onto this field and you'd step into your childhood go barefoot now i i would like okay to see how it happens i stepped onto this field and i saw instead of adults all these children around me but what i did was i went to a hedge and put my back against the wall and i curled down as small as i could and i didn't look at any of the children that was my childhood small as possible small as possible and afraid what were you afraid of um i was bullied at school so that was my uh the teachers didn't acknowledge it my family didn't do anything about it because my family both my parents are fear-based so um i went home and i would say what was happening and they felt that they couldn't do anything about it so and i remember my dear mother saying that uh, like her response was um to send me to another school which was a boarding school and for me to be so afraid that the thought of even it wouldn't have happened there was no the money wasn't there but the thought of me being sent away i shut up so i stopped saying about the bullying but also at home there was a um a, a live-in workman before i was born he was there to when i was 10 and he was an alcoholic and he controlled my mum i've got like three memories of him so that's the understanding of seeing somebody control, but I've blanked him. So there was this, uh, this fear at home. And unfortunately, my dad uh, didn't have a voice, so he was never able to stand up for anything that happened. And so there's this whole thing of repressed female, not being able to speak up, um, being controlled alcohol. I remember as an adult, being attracted to men with alcohol on their breath and I couldn't understand why and it's only been like five years ago my mum actually told me how long this man had lived there and I I, I was like you've got to be joking I've only got a couple of memories of him and it's it's we like I blanked out because obviously it was something that was so um that was so deep for me but also I absorbed so um, the reason why I do, do the work I do is I understand that the, the, what happens in childhood, you have to heal in your life. But also because I'm worked, I've worked with it and I'm continuing to work with myself, I know how to help others along the way. So I understand that now. But you can imagine going to school, being terrified. I was allowed friends when I was allowed friends. When I wasn't, they were taken from me. It was as simple as that. And it was a small school, so there was nowhere to go and I remember that, that I was completely controlled at home I remember a few times running away I didn't get far I took my tortoise with me because I had a tortoise at the time so I took my animal but um it, this not being able to express myself either you know there was nowhere for me to to speak and that's been a big thing for me as an adult speaking you know my work to take it up to the next level to speak doing what I'm doing right now it's been really healing for me to, to be heard. I think it's, I, 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 I could relate to so much of that. Were you an only child, by the way? 
no I'm the, I was the fourth but there was nine and a half years between me and my sister and um, my mum was desperately unhappy and, and children children were the only thing so I also I took on this role of I knew I was to make I, it was important for me to make my mum happy because I, I could feel her unhappiness we were the only joy in her life mm. so yeah. in some ways I was the only child but I was the last one just because there was a long gap yeah, I could um I could relate like I said to a lot of that. I'm the I'm the third of three sons and there's a six and a, six and a half year gap between me and my my middle brother there. So I felt uh very alone as well where I I wasn't I didn't feel um cared for in a way where my voice like you said where I could speak up for myself and that that I took that uh, many years throughout my, my adult life where you just feel, you know, sort of like you just have to be quiet because nobody's going to validate or care or listen to what you have to say. And it's quite devastating. And of course, there was some bullying uh, going on with me as a young kid too. And, you know, people pick up on that, I guess, that energy, that aura, that vibe, and that's the way they choose to uh, react to it because of their uh, outlook on life and um, the cycle continues absolutely the wolf knows the prey as well so it's a thing they know which ones to and and unfortunately the people that do the bullying have got things going on at home that's why they need to control someone else so they're the flip side of the same coin that they've got things happening at home my parents loved me but they both came from atrocious childhoods and so they came into the world with that and they were fear-based they were afraid it's as simple as that so I love my family deeply and I can and, and I, I do you know for everything I love them because I understood where they came from as a child it, it was obviously absorbed and I've had to heal it but I understand hmm. what I understand. was yeah what was your father like growing up what was that relationship like um, he was very distant because he worked from dawn till dusk. We were, um, it was a farm. So it was dad, my dad's farm and he just worked and worked and worked and worked. I understand later on in life that that was his therapy, but almost his running because he didn't face anything. So if anything was going on, it was mum that dealt with stuff. He couldn't, like if, if, if um, say things happened at home, he just wouldn't back up anything that happened at school. He just didn't, he just worked. And it was almost like a, like a slavery work. He really pushed himself, worked, worked, worked. And so he wasn't, if I wanted to spend time with him, I'd have to work. I'd go on the farm and do something. But I remember him calling me, I was his Bobby Dazzler. So I have these little memories. And that was like his um, like nickname for me. And it was really sweet. And that was, and I have a memory of um, a neighbor had some kittens and uh, the, the 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 lane to the neighbors was our farm lane and it was very muddy and very um very yeah it was very dirty so he put me in a hessian sack and carried me to get the kitten and that's a memory i have of him carrying me on his back to get this kitten from a neighbor's house so i have little things like that that like he couldn't hold my hand he couldn't hug me he couldn't tell me he loved me so those kind of things it was just he just wasn't there uh, because it was the only thing he was just being on the farm, being outside. How do you process that as a young child? You don't, you just, it's just, it's just like not acceptance. It's just, this is how life is. So it's like, I wouldn't have asked for more because there was, how, how would I know to ask for more? This is what life is. 
there's nothing to what could I relate it to there was no strong male role model in the house there was this alcoholic which obviously I've blanked out there was also other forces then that came in because you have frightened you're frightened people you know we lived at an end of a lane it was a, a very it's like a no through road there was no other house but again predators no prey you know so there was always some there would be various things going on but so you just it's like that okay this is how life is I didn't I wouldn't have questioned I wouldn't know how to and how was your schooling you know through grammar school and high school um when I was 16 I developed ME so myalgia and cephalomyelitis so I had a massive massive crash uh, that way I was first of all they thought I was diabetic because I threw water in my urine um, but it wasn't I was tested and 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 like ME is very much now accepted now but at the time it, it wasn't it was quite unknown but five years into it I went to a ME clinic in Cardiff and I had lots of tests and they found that I had toxoplasmosis and glandular fever in my system I just didn't know it but for me uh like 16 there's uh, it's like you're changing you're growing but also then there was all this fear inside me that i didn't even know i was afraid i was just a frightened rabbit in the headlights so i can understand why my system would have been so repressed that an illness came along and and it, i was bedridden i was bedridden for a year it was a number of years after that I rehabilitated. I learned about food intolerances, but also healthy food. I've uh, also then it opened my eyes to holistic therapies because there was nothing that the doctors could do. And I was determined to get well. It gave me, there was a resilience that came through it because the support groups at the time, they were all long-term, they were in wheelchairs. There was, there was no, I didn't see anyone that had recovered. And so for a 16 year old, 16, 17, 18 year old to go into this of there's no hope, but for some, somehow this strength came inside and it was like, you're going to recover. And I did. It took a number of years, but there was a determination came through. What were you aspiring to be going forward at that age? At that age, uh, just before it happened, I knew it was, it was art and also working with children were the two things I knew because they were the things I loved. So very much so. And then the ME came and it stopped me in my exams. So I had no qualifications at all because I was too ill to, 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 to follow through on anything. I couldn't. Um, I tried going back and I was still too ill. So I left school with, with nothing. Did you go to college? Uh, again, it took me a number of years to recover. So what I did was I gradually started working. There was um, actually walking over the fields from where I lived on the farm. There was a small factory and I started working there and doing a number of hours and gradually building up my hours as my strength, my physical strength came through. And then I progressed from there. So my start was in the factory just to get my energy and to understand I could sustain a day because it was learning to trust my body that I could hold. It was like half an hour or an hour I started with and then gradually built up from there. What was your relationship like with your parents at this point where you moved out of the house? No, I was still there. So because it was that I was still recovering is how you would put it. So it was strange that, that, that like the time I would have been going out and exploring in the world at 16 is when I actually, I actually fell back in again because my mom had to care for me. I was in bed. So it was like that time of flowering. Actually, then I ended up going back in. Hmm. So now you are in your, your 20s. What is life like at that point? Um, quite. It's almost like I didn't understand, not understand. I felt like, well, this is how life is. And then 
I started, something inside me just seemed to open up and say, there's more to life than this. Because I was working in a factory. So I was like putting 100, what, 100, 200, 300 labels on a product. So it was rep- repetition. So there was, um, and also when you're in a factory, I was wearing overalls. You become, you're almost like you're not a woman anymore. You're just uh, in a male, in a man's clothing. And you're very, you're just tailoring yourself to the factory way of being. Um, and then, hey, presto, I started, it was the Reiki that I started. There was a local woman and I contacted her, first of all, to have some treatments. And then with the training and her house was full of Native American artifacts. And for some reason, I've always been drawn to them. And I looked at all these artifacts and I was like, wow. And she said, well, she said, in a couple of weeks time, there's, there's a shamanic course I'm going on. Would you like to come? And that was it. Hey, presto. The world gave, and it was like at that right moment that when I was really questioning that there's more to life than this, where I could have been stuck in factory life, nine to five, this is how life is. And something just put me in the right direction, and it was from there. Wonderful. Uh, I know you alluded to this a little bit prior, uh, how you were, as you said, attracted to men with alcohol on their breath. Um, in your 20s, what was your love life like? Horrendous relationships were horrendous it's it's the ones that 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 and it wasn't that there was many but the ones i that i was drawn to or were drawn to me were the ones that were controlling using uh abusing and it, it's it's surreal that you're um you're drawn to something that's so unhealthy and so toxic and yet you don't understand why there's great guys out there and yet it was whatever the name of the person and who they were they were they were so similar because it was that 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 theme of and I didn't know I I like I say it's only been like five years ago that I found out this guy had been in the house for so long so it was like a missing key for me that ah now I understand it's um it's amazing how self-defense, self-preservation will protect us at the time, but actually we need to open those doors again and find out why. So true. I can look back, as I'm sure many listeners can, as to um, non-ideal, to put it nicely, relationships you find yourself in. And I'm looking back on them now in a healthier point of my life. And I'm looking back at them, seeing how unhealthy they were, and also able to say, well, what else could I have expected? Look at how unhealthy I was in that time. It's not like I could have attracted anybody differently. Exactly. And I was drawn to what this was what I had absorbed. This is what man was. So uh, non-active male, so non, uh, you know, there were so many things I understand now. Um, But those are the role models I had at the time. This is what man is. So that acceptance of that this is what happens. This is how it is. Mm. What was your later 20s like? Um, there was uh, quite, there was a big pivotal time for me, and that we touched on before when we were talking, and that I had a miscarriage, and it was with one, it was a horrendous relationship, it really was. Um, but the miscarriage was was really tough for me because at the time, then my I was helping care for my father who had he's had um, he his heart had, had um, given way in a way he had a left ventricle failure he couldn't work on the farm it was inoperable and from working to dawn till dusk to nothing and he had nothing and he had a breakdown um and so uh, he eventually then became bipolar but in that there's like a 
rules the house. I was helping care for him because he was physically ill as well. And so was my mother. And so I was helping in there. And I had this relationship with this person and I became pregnant. And when the miscarriage happened, it was, there was just, my father just couldn't be told because they were, it, it, it was just, I wasn't, as far as he was concerned, I didn't have a boyfriend because he didn't, he knew I was the one that was helping care for him. So he didn't want, uh, you know, anything to be told. So it's all very secret. And, and unfortunately I miss, it was in my room that I, that I miscarried. And I remember that I was absolutely heartbroken and going backwards and forwards to the toilet and seeing that, that my baby as it was, I wasn't far gone, but drops dropping into the toilet with silence, silence. And it was like, even now it, it's something that, I can feel um because that was my baby and because it was silent I couldn't and my, my partner wasn't supportive so uh, it was buried it came out later in my shamanic work when I did one of my it came out big time but I buried it um uh, because and I went back to work you know so many days afterwards back to work no one knew but to me that was my child and I know today you say that you will We'll get to um, to current time. I mean, you have a um, a lovely seven year old healthy son, but yeah. you also say that you have two children. Yes, I do. He's in spirit. My child is in spirit, and that's what that is the thing of understanding when we release. When I went on this shamanic um, retreat again, and again, you have this ceremony, and it all feels wonderful. And just before we were going out into the fields, we were going to reclaim our voices. So, and he was, you know, he was, the, the facilitator was saying it would be a, it could be a, a tone, it could be words, it could be, but it's going to be your authentic voice. And before we went out, he gave me a hug. And I thought this was strange because he didn't hug anyone else, but he hugged me before we went. We went into these fields and you went on your own. And I remember going down into this dingle, which is uh, like down into a dip. And there was this little stream and there was this little bridge. And I remember going down there and I was stood in the water. And from nowhere came this howl, but it was a howl and a scream. It was absolutely heartbreaking. And I, it overwhelmed me and I couldn't speak. I couldn't do, I came, we came back and you could share your experience and your voice if you wanted to. So people were, they'd have these different tones, these different voices. And in the circle you were sharing them, I was completely silent because at that moment I couldn't understand where the pain came from. Um, we had a night and we slept and the next day it came through and I understood and it was a pain from that miscarriage. And so it was just allowing that, but in allowing that pain out, I could then connect with a child that was in spirit because that's exactly what happened. I sat in a circle and I was supported by people. And then there was, they were showing me this child is with you. This child is with you. And so that is the importance of no matter what happens in life, if we allow ourselves to release it, there was a gift beyond it. And the gift for me was that connection with my child because while I was still holding that trauma, I couldn't allow myself to open up to the fact I had a child in spirit. I couldn't because that, that I'd hidden that pain. That pain was deep inside me. Are your parents here with us today? My father's in spirit, so my mom's still with us. How did the relationship with your father evolve? Unfortunately for him, he became bipolar. And so, um, and in amongst it all, one of his visions or, or pretend, not pretend visions, he went to many worlds when he was bipolar and I became his mother and he, and his mother was horrendous to him. So he actually pushed me away massively. And so he knew I was the one to look after him. And also something that came up as well, that when, before this, when he had uh, his breakdown, he tried to hang himself a number of times 
and um one of the ones i remember because it was the one that i found him on and i remember i was washing my car and he hadn't done it for a while he hadn't tried to commit suicide and he walked past me now bearing in mind he was an older man he was bent over on sticks and he was walking very badly because physically he wasn't great either because of the heart condition and things going on and he walked past me and i was washing my car and there was this little spider on the on the on the on the mirror the outdoor mirror side mirror and some something with this spider told me to go and check my dad and he'd gone into the barn and even though he was so crippled he's got a bale and he pushed it underneath a beam and he was tying a bale of string to hang himself with and so if i hadn't listened to this little spider my dad would have hung himself and so um recently what's come up for me is i've been i felt this real depth of angst and just pain and i've been doing some automatic writing and then drawing and what came out i was i was doing the hangman 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 but then ultimately beyond that it showed my father's love now what became of this then afterwards was obviously he was having treatment and things but it he was just silent and then he became bipolar and he never came back from that bipolar he was aggressive he could be sexual with people that came through the door who were complete strangers um and eventually he became so ill physically that me and my mum couldn't look after him and he went into a home and then what happened at the end of this he developed cancer and in a very short time he went downhill and um but as he was going, the last 10 days of his life, he came back, all the illness dropped. He held my hand. He told me he loved me. He would look me in the eye and I could feel this love from him. Absolute love. Uh, I stayed with him. I stayed with him when he went. I bathed him when he'd gone. Because all of that illness was nothing. It was an illusion. The love was there. He loved me and he showed love there was no barrier even though he was in pain even though there was stuff going on because he was misdiagnosed for a while as well when it was happening and um that mental illness was gone and my dad was there but also the dad that i'd always wanted and knew that in my heart was there because there was no barrier to the love and he would hold my hand and I could feel that love. I could feel the love around him. There was a softness. There was a openness. There was a genuineness. There was no hiding, no running. It was him. And it was beautiful. I got my dad for a couple of weeks. I got my dad. For the first time. Yeah. In my heart, I knew he loved me. But he could never. And the mental illness was just horrendous. It all went and even when he when he passed he waited for the family even though he was in a coma he was out of it every single member of the family came and as they were leaving he took his last breath it was um healing profound um and it also gives me hope in life you know when you see people who they're doing horrendous things and they're on horrendous cycles i understand that in a pin drop it could all be dropped and this is why I, I refuse to give up hope on anybody or, or condemn someone. They're there inside. That truth, that heart is there. Just stunningly beautiful. Thanks for uh, walking us through that. I want to talk about your son today, seven years old. Uh, take us back to the beginning of that. Who's the father? 
Yes, um, I I did. Uh, I met I met his dad, and it was nine ten months after my father passed away that I met him. And I also understand that in a lot of ways there was still a lot of healing to do because he's a lot of similarities to my father, and and so there was the no bless him there's there was lots of things he just couldn't give me because i understand now why when i became pregnant it was really apparent then the the differences in us that until you have a child and a child comes along you don't realize and so i have no ill will towards him i became a single parent i chose to i stepped away when my son was two because it was not healthy for either of us and so um, I understand that the restriction would have been the same as my upbringing in so many ways. And I knew I was not going to do that to my son. Um, and, and also something happened when I had my son, when he was inside me, something just clicked into place massively. And I saw things differently. And I saw the, the way children are treated, the way they're, yes, I thought, there's something not right here. Uh, we train our children with, oh, good boy, good girl, good. Well, and it's like you're training a dog and you're not it's so many things just opened up a whole new world and and i have talked about this before that there was uh when i was 20 20 week preg 20 weeks pregnant they found anomalies with my son and there were three of them so it, i was put into a whole world of your child not it might not be healthy enough to survive maybe you should consider options and blah 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 which i refused um and so i was put into the microscope um i had to fight to breastfeed him because they were testing him they bottle fed him um and then straight away you're put into the world where you should vaccinate your child, da 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 da. And so there was all this, but again, I could communicate with him. And it was that came through when I had with the animals, I could feel, I could sense. So I could look into this baby and he could look into my eyes and something shifted. And it was a very gentle strength, but I knew what was right for him. And so the journey I went on, and my son did have to have an operation and he had, no, he had a, um, a cyst on his lung that needed to be removed. And I waited until he was two. They did want to do it when he was a babe, but it was a big operation invasive. And I had a bonny baby who was flourishing and I'd been separated from him. So there was no way on earth because I, I understood again, I had this, this child, this child should not have this happen now. It was too much of a trauma. But when he was two, he did have the operation and I'm very thankful that I left it when it was because it was a big one so it was a lot for him to deal with um, and then post it when he came out of it I could see that my sensitivities my son has and I could just see that the environment was we needed space to grow and it wasn't where we were and so I stepped away um, and I'm very thankful for that so my son does see his dad regularly and I have a good relationship so that is um, but also I've learned so much on being a single parent because I've been able to again it's like fine honing that listening skill because it, it's i've learned so much because he's taught me about life and he's helped me access so many things and that reawakening my childhood came up um as they grow you i had memories come up from my childhood so he has healed me massively it's that that trust that love when he when he looked at me as a babe with total unconditional love and trust what different would you do you know you're going to change your world because you need to. Oh, I get it. I get it. Like I said at the top of the show, um, you know, uh, growing up, I always felt that, you know, I want to be a father. I, I want children one day. And that's basically the extent of it because nobody could even hand you remotely what it's going to be like, what it's going to feel like, how it's going to profoundly change your life, what the responsibility truly is. So now I have, uh, you know, incredible 
two children that I love dearly. They're not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but that's, that's part of it, isn't it? And every single moment of every single day, these two are teaching me more than I ever could have hoped for. You come into this situation as a new parent, and you most certainly, if you want to do it right, you can't, or I couldn't, you can't continue to be your old self and hope that that's going to plug into this scenario. No, everything about you needs to significantly change. Again, that's what it was for me. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's a great thing. And like, that's also what you learn. You read books before and it's like those books are complete rubbish. You realize you throw them away when you have the baby. It's irrelevant. You know, make your babies cry themselves to sleep at night. It's like, oh, come on. Every instinct in you tells you do not let that baby cry. As far as that baby's concerned, you've abandoned them because it's instinctual. Yeah. And there's some like, you know, God bless my mother and father uh, today. Um, They come over and of course, in true grandparent form, they put in their two cents with how they would have handled it if I did that as a child. And I'm like, "Um, we don't really do that kind of thing anymore. No. And yet the interesting thing I had, and and, and like, uh, unfortunately me and my partner didn't see this same vision with the parenting as well. He had two parents from um, children from his previous marriage. So he parented very traditionally is how you'd say it. So he didn't, he didn't get it as well. But so all the things that were like saying me to do, telling me to do things differently. Now it's like, I'm reaping the benefits because I see what a wonderful kid he is. So it's like at the time it was like, you're going against everything. You know, you, you shouldn't be breastfeeding for as long as you are. You shouldn't be doing this. You should, you know, all the things. And yet, you know, there's a child that's so grounded and centered and happy that now they're seeing, you know, people can now actually see, but at the time when it's younger, and, and I don't blame them. There's a conformity around parenting. It must be like this. The child must conform to the parent's life. The child must be nine to five, like their job. They must go to sleep all night long. They do not wake you up. If they wake you up at night, then you're doing something wrong. Yeah. So it's all this rubbish that gets thrown at you, which people believe. And it's generational. So I, don't, I have no blame. Yeah. But also we have to wake up so as our children remain and maintain their authenticity. Mm-hmm. I, I live that consciously every day with my children to the extent that I feasibly can. I let them be themselves, do themselves, act themselves, you know, all within the, the realm of what I find to be acceptable. Absolutely. Boundaries are important. And that's the thing, again, you know, about feeling safe. I didn't feel safe because there weren't boundaries. Anything could happen. So I understand the importance of boundaries. Boundaries are what make people safe. And you want your child to say no when they go in life. You show them no. And, and so it's healthy to say no to a child because then they've got it in their vocabulary. They will say no when things are around them in their own lives. You plant the seeds for the future. You know, that sounds like such a simple, obvious recommendation, yet I've never heard it put quite like that. And it's, it's sitting well. You want your kids to say no in the most appropriate times in their life start telling them no. And my whole thing was, I always had a difficult time telling them no, because, you know, I just want to give them, but that, that works well. I like that. Absolutely. And for me, with the natural parenting, I, as I evolved with what was happening with my child and seeing this child in front of me, I read a lot of books because you do, you know, and there was, there was quite a bit on about not saying no. And like, there was a book of, well, you can say no in so many ways, you know, you could, you could skirt around it and do this and oh, darling, why don't you do it? Yeah. 
if they're about to put their hand in a fire, you don't suddenly go, right, well, actually, darling, if you don't, it's actually, no, no is a word. It's a powerful word. And let them have it themselves when they go and when somebody says to them or, or offers them something that's not appropriate. No. No. What mantra do you live by today? Um, learn every single day. And the more I know, the more there is to learn. And I think that's really healthy. Sometimes we get caught up in not our own importance, but we think we know more than we do. So I'm very open to learn, learn, keep learning. And that's healthy. And I feel very alive when I do that. It's wonderful. Do you believe everything happens for a reason? Yeah. Every single thing that's happened to me in life, I understand why now. At the time, they were major traumas, but now I understand completely. It was a map uh, for where I'm going and what I'm doing, and um, I've learned so much. Are you spiritual or religious in any ways today? I'd call myself spiritual not religious but for me again it's it's uh, that was another faction when i was growing up that, that, that religion was very much about uh, fear based was you know you there's there's a god that's watching you and all pervading and you must you know those sins were were spread around and as a child going to church for whatever reason you absorbed those things that somebody was watching for you and waiting for you to fall you know it was another thing of like the training of being a bad girl you know you must be good um and so um, and I've got all respect for religions as long as there are no harm to anybody else. Uh, anything that gives you faith, hope, is healthy. But for me, I don't want to be restricted by a name. I believe in Jesus. I believe in a higher power. I, you know, um, my spirituality is mine and it's, oh, it's expansive and I'm always learning more. So I do not wish to label it, but I know there's, there's a force and a power far bigger than us. And if we allow ourselves to be guided by us, by it, it will help us every day. And to understand that we're part of that, we're connected to that, we are not separate from it. Yeah, absolutely adore that. Perhaps you, you gave this thought when you were in the midst of your father's beautiful departure what do you believe happens when it's all over they go to that place place of peace where there's no pain no suffering and it's no wonderful place to go to when i was watching my father there was a crow that was outside the window because it was a tree and i used to just watch this crow and it's like for me it was a connection to spirit that my dad's gonna fly crows and uh, it's like the gatekeepers and it was like a reminder that there's there's a safe place and a safe space and he showed me it before he went peace i'd had a dad that for 15 20 years that i had a job to be around because of the mental illness and then before that was so distant yeah i had somebody that was so gentle and humble and kind beside me so it was enough proof for me he showed me what what was to come he gave it to me before he went gentility when you thought that there was none uh, when there was absolute harshness like even in the home he'd got a girlfriend which was heartbreaking for my mum but the mental illness had just he developed another world which was we were irrelevant we were we were servants so we saw the most extreme he'd asked my mum to buy her flowers you know um, but they were mentally you know she was mentally ill as well so he developed this whole world in his mind that was completely separate from us we were to do what he wanted that was what the mental illness was telling him we were useful so we went to the extreme and yet my dad came back. My dad was never gone. He was just hidden. My dad, in amongst all the pain of before, you know, before, before the mental illness, he showed me who he really was. 
what is next for you? Trusting the journey, to be honest. I know speaking is a big part for me, and I understand that. The more I'm speaking, the stronger it's getting. I'm allowing. Um, I have uh, wishes, dreams, visions, goals, is what I say, but ultimately, I'm allowing the flow. So there are open-ended um, so I'm allowing things to come to me and understanding um, a big part of it has been your voice for children because I'm seeing massively how children are controlled, restricted and it's, it makes it, you're snuffing out a light and, and that should not be so a big part and also what my child has taught me is to speak for others and speak for others, those young ones so that is a massive part for me I'm being guided and I will trust where that guidance takes me Again, I got the chills. It's just listening to you and your mission and your authenticity. It's just, it's just beautiful. I'll leave you with this final question. Sally Saint, how would you like to be remembered? Being authentically me and showing others who they really are. Who they really are. Show them the heaven before they leave this earth. My father taught me that. The heaven's inside you. Beyond suffering beyond beyond pain beyond despair there's a beauty inside of you i want to show people that beauty our children remind us our children are but i want to show people that don't let it be 10 days two weeks before you leave this earth that you access it let it be yours now but feel i i get really tired of people who are oppressing and saying that it's okay to oppress stuff you move on you pull yourself together you forget what happened it's it is rubbish open up I adore you. I adore this conversation. It's, it's certainly uh, one of my, ooh, I, 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 just, I just connect and resonate to so much of this, how you put it. I mean, I've heard stories like this before, but really, Sally, thank you for opening up. Like I said before we went on the air, your middle name is The, Sally The Saint. I appreciate you. You're beautiful inside and out. And I want to thank you for sharing your, sharing your journey with us today. Thank you, Sally. You're very welcome. You're very welcome. And I want to thank everybody who's been tuned into this. I hope you got a little spark, a little energy, a little inspiration from it. If you did, take one small step, a piece of action, put something in motion in your world, make it happen. Let us know how it is going. We are all ears. I appreciate you. I appreciate you, Sally. We're going to do this again real soon. Until we do, ladies and gentlemen, go out and go get them. Thanks for listening to The Hidden Entrepreneur Show. Make sure to subscribe through iTunes or Google Play so you can get notified every time we publish a new episode. And we'd love to hear your thoughts with an honest review on iTunes. Finally, follow us on your favorite social media platforms to keep the conversation going with Josh Carey and today's guest. Until next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.